0: Alrighty. Um, well, let's just jump to the, the sermon. Um, thank you for bearing with us through the complications. Uh, we're continuing this 5M series, and uh, this is the third week, and I've got a bit of a cough, so if I cough, hopefully um, it won't uh, hurt your ears. But we talked about magnification the first week, um, how you know worship is everything, um, and everything worships, so whether you worship God or not. And that everything uh, is worship. So whether we eat or drink, it's all worship to God. <clears throat> Last week we talked about membership, and I talked about how there are three, at least three, like key metaphors in the Bible about you know what the church is like. And I talked about the church as a family, and so that's our intimacy. Talked about church as a body, and so that's our diversity. And then I talked talked about church as an embassy, right? And so it's our place of um, sanctuary, right? Um, so a place to kind of feel home at. And so today I want to talk about uh, maturity, right, Mature this idea of growing. Um, lately, <clears throat> I've kind of been struck with this realization of how much Ruben has grown. Uh, having Zoe um, has made me think about these things even more because as I hold her tiny body in my arms, I often think, man, you know, Ruben used to be this small. And it felt like not long ago that he fit into my arms, just like one arm, and I'd cradle him like this. Um, but then when I go back to him, he's like this kind of little man child. And it's like, he's, he's huge now. <clears throat> and uh, this feeling's increased um, as I spend more time with Zoe. And just like, if I like feeding her for an hour or two, and then I go back to Ruben, I just think, man, he's grown so quickly uh, in such a short moment of time. And in the midst of all this reflection, you know, I often get sad. And I think I shared this in one of the growth groups. Um, because like, I miss when Ruben used to be that small. I don't know if any other parents have felt this way. Like I, I feel like it happens so quick. Uh, before I know it, um, Ruben will be a teenager. And before I know it, Zoe will soon be Ruben's size, and I won't be able to cuddle her and like, you know, kiss her a hundred times without her being unable to escape. You know, one day Ruben and Zoe won't let me hug them as long as I want. Right? I had that thought and it made me so sad. Like, I can just hug Ruben as long as I want. I, I can just kind of make him kiss me and make him say he loves me. You know, but one day. You know, they won't do that stuff i don't know it's just me it makes me sad when i think that you know that day is going to happen really soon um, but when you think about it i guess that's just the way you know it's meant to be right we go from being babies to infants to teenagers to adults right all of our children will become adults they will grow bigger they'll stop giving us affection you know, they won't want us to, you know, they won't hold on to us at daycare. Instead, when they get dropped off at school, they'll be like, you know, drop me off, you know, down the road because I don't want you know, anyone to anyone, anyone of my friends to see. you. And we've all gone through that journey when you think about it. We've gone from, you know, babies all the way to adults. <laughs> and we go through that in different ways and paths, um, but we all mature. And that kind of physical maturity we go through um, is paralleled by what happens in our spiritual life. But so often what we see in the physical world is paralleled in the spiritual world because God has made both. We go from babies to um, you know, infants to adults, um, both spirit, physically and also spiritually. And so when you think about the language used in the Bible, uh, when we become Christians, um, we are born again, right? That's what Jesus said to Nicodemus. You have to be born again. And that language is purposeful. It's, it's implying that there is like a starting point in our Christian lives. Um, the apostle Paul talks about, you know, baby Christians. He doesn't use that phrase, but he says, you know, the, the immature Christians need to be fed spiritual milk. Right? And you contrast that with the more mature Christians who need solid food. Right? So even the Apostle Paul uses that language to describe what happens in our spiritual lives. Right? We're meant to mature and grow from babies to infants to adults. Right? We are meant to mature as believers. Right? It's an important aspect of what we're about. Just like as a human being, maturity is like a core aspect of what you're meant to do in life. And so today I'm going to talk about a maturity and I've got two points, and the first one is about becoming. Right, Our key uh, verse for today is Second uh, Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, just this one verse. Um, and Paul says, We all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, <clears throat> are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. <coughs> Sorry. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So the Apostle Paul is talking about this idea of transformation. Uh, We are, um, as Christians, growing, uh, maturing in this process of transformation. And the language he uses is one degree of glory to another. And so that language implies that this uh, transformation is not immediate. It's not just from one thing straight to another, but there is this gradual process that happens in a Christian's uh, growth or maturity, right? It's not an instantaneous occurrence. And we need to understand that it's not instantaneous. I mean, some things will be instant, but this uh, sanctification, we call it, this growth of maturity is ongoing. And we need to know that or else we'll end up being uh, very frustrated and confused. If we think that we're meant to be perfect, and not sinning the moment we're saved, well, you're gonna uh, be very disappointed every time you stumble. Uh, When you confront your weaknesses, uh, when you commit sin, you'll be wondering what's going on. So you need to accept uh, for yourself and when you look at other people, that it is a process of becoming, right? To stop that feeling of frustration. Uh, Maturity uh, or sanctification, I said, um, is ongoing and that's in contrast to what we call justification and glorification. And uh, you may know these terms. If you don't know what justification, sanctification, and glorification is, um, they're quite important terms um, that you should uh, learn uh, as you go along. Um, But let me talk a little bit about it. Now, the Christian's order of salvation, right? the steps that happen in salvation can be broken up into many parts. And the three main parts that I'll emphasize are those three, right? The justification, sanctification, glorification. Let me explain what they are. justification it's immediate and what justification is it's that moment when you hear uh, the gospel call that you believe and repent you are immediately in that moment uh, justified you're made right with God right so before that point uh, you're an enemy of God Uh, God's anger and wrath is against you but when you believe you are justified right immediately right immediately you go from darkness to light, you go from enemies of God to adopted children of God, And So your salvation, that point when you're saved is an immediate uh, moment. And for some of us, uh, it might feel like it was a long process. And sometimes when we give our testimonies, and I'm not saying this is bad, uh, we say, you know, I can't really remember the moment. It felt like, you know, I grew up in the church and I've just kind of grown in my faith. And it, it, that's okay. It, it feels like it's a long process, but there is a specific moment, even if you can't identify it, where it was like a tipping point, and your faith in Christ was true, and you were saved in that moment. Right? So you're not you're not like you being saved, and God's like, oh, I'm not sure. Well, will you go to heaven? There was a point where immediately uh, you were um, a child of God, and your eternity was secure. And maybe one way to think about it is like pregnancy, where it is like a long process of nine months, and even the process of labor feels like a long process, but the moment of birth is a specific moment, right? And so even though the process up to it was long. So justification is, is is an immediate thing. And if you're a Christian, that's something that's already happened to you. Now, the third one, if we skip sanctification, is glorification. And that's something we haven't yet encountered. Uh, that also is immediate. On the final day when God will judge the world, uh, he will send all, everyone to either heaven or hell, uh, we believers will be made <coughs> will be made perfect. We'll be exactly like Jesus like in that moment. And we will be with no sin. We will have no sinful tendencies or desire. We will have new bodies. Right? I don't know what that will look like, but you know, we'll all uh, look like... Um, I'm going to name someone, you know, Sue or James or whoever, Peter, all these amazing body people. Um, and we'll just kind of be you know, glorified, right? That's an immediate uh, thing as well. So I heard once, if you want to make it simple, uh, that justification is I have been saved from the penalty of sin, right? So when you believe the penalty of sin uh, is no longer against you. Glorification is I will be saved from the presence of sin, right? So in that moment, when we go to heaven, There will be no sin in our lives. We'll be in heaven where there's no presence of sin. And so what we're in now on earth is that middle part. We call this sanctification, this process of maturity. And sanctification can be understood as I am being saved from the power of sin. We are in this kind of daily growth where uh, the battle against sin, um, by the Spirit, uh, we are overcoming more and more, right, day by day. Um, and We are being stronger, more mature, uh, more like Jesus Christ every day. And so again, if you link that to our physical maturity, uh, that's what happens. It's a process over time, day by day, from infants um, to children to adolescents are uh, just constantly growing. And so if we're meant to be maturing, uh, what are we maturing to become like, right? Uh, who are we growing to be like? And obviously the answer is... Jesus, right? And so we go to our passage. It says, we're beholding the glory of the Lord. <coughs> we're being transformed into the same image. That same image is in reference to the Lord that He just spoke about. And so we're maturing to be like Jesus Christ, right? Ephesians 4.13, this is next week's verse. Uh, but it says we're um, in this process of um, growing in the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, right? So again, this idea of maturity to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the person we're trying to be like, the person we're trying to grow to uh, image is Jesus himself. Now, last week I said, uh, we are diverse. Right? We have different gifts, different personalities, hobbies and quirks, etc. Yes, and that's true. Um, but at the same time, in some ways, we are exactly the same. So in some ways, very different, But in other ways, we are exactly the same because we are growing into that same image, which is Jesus. And one way to think about it is like Memojis. Do you guys know uh, what Memojis are? Um, It's like an emoji, but it's of your own face, right? Some of you have it. You don't even know what it is. It's like an apple thing. I'm sure Android, you have some inferior uh, version of it that you guys copied off Apple. <laughs> just checking. Anyway, uh, so this is what a Memoji is. Um, I've got some people to send me their emoji, And these are actual people. Um, I'll just give you 10 seconds to guess who they might be. Okay, I'll go through them one by one just to engage you a little bit. So the first one um, from top row left to right, that one's meant to be Daniel Kang. And the next one is, is uni uh, because she has a newborn and she wants to sleep. The next one is sung. Sung Ho, uh, that's the one he sent me. And the one on the bottom left, that's meant to be me. And the one next to me with the dyed hair is Joan. Even though her hair is now permed and it's not that color. Okay. Anyway, this is what a emoji is, but that's not, the point is, um, I feel like it's kind of like a Memoji where if you've ever made one, you kind of start with a core foundational kind of template or a face, and then you start adding in those extra features that differentiate you, right? And so you got the styled hair, the accessories, the hat, you know, the glasses, etc. Uh, but, you know, in the core features, uh, you start off with the same mold. Um, and I feel like maybe in that way, it's like that for Christians. We're the same, but we're different. In the core foundational areas, we're meant to be the same. We're meant to be Christ-like, right? Loving, patient, etc. Uh, but in these other extra quirky features, uh, we are different. Um, and that's what it is to be a Christian. And it's important for us to figure out through our lifetime, you know, which ones are which. Right? Which ones are the Christ-like features that are meant to be the same as everyone in? And what are the features that are unique that I can be different in? And if you get that mixed up, <clears throat> it's going to be confusing. Um, because you're going to be like, oh, no, that's just the way who I am. I'm not going to change in that area when really you should be changing because that's what it is to be like Jesus. And in other areas, you might be trying to be like someone else when in reality you don't need to be like them because you can be different in that area, right? And so we need to study the Bible to figure out which areas we're meant to be the same in and different in. Some examples of the ways we should mature and be like Jesus can be found in uh, maybe Galatians 5, 22, 23. And so when you read this, this is exactly what Jesus was like. He was perfect in these areas. Uh, but if, for us, uh, we need to grow in them. And the promise is that if you are a Christian, the spirit is actually helping us to grow in this. All right, so love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Right, in these areas, we are meant to be more like Jesus as we grow. Or one more passage, the famous passage on love. We read this during a wedding, which is kind of cruel because no spouse uh, is ever perfectly like this. Only Jesus is perfectly like this, right? That's the point. Um, And I don't know if you've heard this, but you can replace the word love here with Jesus and it'll make total sense. Uh, When you replace the word love with your name, Right? And it'll be a good like moment of self-reflection of the areas you need to grow. So like Jesus is patient, he is kind. Right? Jesus does not envy, he does not boast. Right? Paul is not arrogant, Paul is not rude. Right? And then you're like, oh no, that doesn't work. Right? Does not insist on their own way. Not irritable. Not resentful. Doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. Rejoices with the truth, etc. Right? And so you kind of read these passages, and we are meant to grow in these. Um, you can go through the Bible and any. Characteristic that is good or holy or righteous, uh, Jesus fulfilled perfectly. And so, as we read the Bible, we can see the areas that we are meant to be more like Jesus. I just want to say a few things before I move on to my next point. <clears throat> Maturity is a core part of what this church is about. Um, and you'd think that, because it's a core part of what the Bible says Christians are meant to do. Um, and so, when we gather, a big part of it is we want to mature whether it's Sunday gatherings, whether it's growth groups, whether it's the conferences we have, whether it's a way that you spend your time and your friendships, we want to be constantly maturing and helping each other pursue holiness and Christ-likeness. And if I specifically talk about growth groups, um, it is a place where we want to grow, right? That's why it's called growth groups. More than just getting to know one another, even though that's important, um, more than just you know, sharing about our re- weeks, even though that's important, all of that is meant to funnel uh, our ability to be more like Jesus, right? And so just, just want to kind of point that out. The second thing I want to say is um, sanctification is a process, right? I've said that. Uh, but because it's a process, uh, we need to be gracious toward one another. I feel like uh, sometimes this idea of um, Christian maturity and we need to be like Jesus can become a source of judgment because the standard of measure is Jesus Christ, none of us are going to you know, ever kind of hit that mark. And so it can easily become, um, well, well, you're failing in this area and you're not doing these things and how come you're not? And what that ends up doing is uh, leaving us into um, uh, fear and discouragement. Um, and rather than helping us grow, ironically, it will do the opposite and it will limit our growth right? Unnecessary judgment uh, will limit our maturity. And I think about it like uh, parenting. A parent needs to balance uh, being firm and demanding, but not so much that you push your child away and cause them to rebel. Um, And then in the process, you end up doing the opposite of what you want to do, right? Rather than making your child grow, you push them away, they rebel and they become like a bad child, right? And that balance is really important. And for us as a church, I think we, we need to be very careful with this. Even though we want to help each other grow, we need to ensure that we have, I think Peter said this once, a space of grace. Right? We need to make sure that whenever people come to church or growth groups, that they are able to be free and comfortable and able to share their struggles and weaknesses without the fear of being judged. And we need to balance that really well, knowing that it's a process, right? I think knowing that sanctification is a journey helps us to see someone and not kind of bludgeon them with you know kind of the standards of Christ, but in love, encourage them right to take a step further right in their journey. All right, emphasizing the goal too much will ironically stop us from getting there. Does that make sense? But right? if we keep saying you know, Jesus and you, you need to be perfect, and why aren't you perfect, it'll stop us from being more perfect because we'll be so afraid, right, of growing together in community, right? And so when I think about, um, I guess, the culture at New Life and some of the things that we were trying to battle, this was one of the key things we were trying to fight against. We wanted people to feel safe, right, and feel like home and be able to be honest with each other about their struggles. And we need that if we want to grow together. So one thing I want to say is uh, let's focus on direction and not destination, right? Let's focus on direction. Um, as opposed to, are you, are you like Christ perfectly? And, and it sounds heretical. I mean, that's really important. But rather than kind of focusing too much on that, because on earth, right, we won't get there. In heaven, we will, but on earth, we won't. Let's focus on direction, right? Is this person, is is it my growth group member? Is my accountability member headed in the right direction? Right? They might not be perfect. They might have some rough edges, but are they in repentance, striving for growth? Right in this area, you know, they might um, have a, a weak spot of sin that they keep stumbling on. But are they trying? Are they fighting for it? Well, then maybe that's that's enough, and we just want to encourage them as they keep taking small steps forward in that area, as opposed to like you know, kind of Bible bashing them every time they stumble. Right? We need to discern that well. But I think direction is really important for us, and we just you need know, to be encouraged that people are headed in the right direction because it's a process where we're all becoming. And let's go to the second point. And the second point is beholding. Now, sometimes sermons like this, where we say we need to be more like Jesus, uh, can be discouraging, uh, because we're reminded how much we aren't like Jesus. And so what do we need to do to be more like Christ, right? That might be what you're thinking. You might feel like something that's really difficult, right? But luckily, what this passage says, and what we need to do, is first uh, not that difficult it says we need a with unveiled faces or behold the glory of the lord i just want to point out two things here we behold jesus it says with unveiled faces and that that phrase unveiled faces is an incredible uh, reminder of what we have now in this new covenant because of what jesus has done all throughout this chapter the Apostle Paul is contrasting the old versus the new, right? The Old Testament or the Old Covenant versus what we get to have as Christians in the new covenant now that Jesus has lived and died. In the old covenant, they saw the glory of God through a veil, right? When you think about Moses and his face was veiled, they couldn't really see God face to face. And then when you set up the temple or the tabernacle, it was, um, there was a big curtain that separated the presence of God. From the people. Uh, But what Paul is saying is that now in Jesus, we see God face to face without a veil. When Jesus died on the cross, the curtain was literally torn in two, right? Symbolizing that that division between us and God is now gone. And through Christ and through the scriptures, we can actually see God, right? Intimately. And so that's what Paul's saying, firstly, that through the scriptures and the power of the Spirit, we can see God in the person of Jesus Christ. That's a beautiful invitation for you and me to see God. The second thing I want to point out is the order. Notice where beholding is in relation to becoming. Beholding comes first. As we, with unveiled faces, behold the glory of the Lord, we will then be transformed. Beholding leads to becoming. (laughs) Often our mistake is to get this the other way around. And the self-reliant, you know, pharisaic part of ourselves thinks that we need to become before we can behold God. And that's what every other religion will tell you. You need to become something. You need to be better, be a certain standard of holiness before you can, you know, behold, God. But grace says that it's the other way around. Right, the very, very core cool message of Christianity is that we don't need to be a certain person to behold God, right? But just as we are through the blood of Christ, we can behold the face of Christ. And as we do, we'll become like him, right? So if you behold him, you will become him, right, I said this in Simon and Eunice's wedding. I preached from this passage. If you look to him, you will look like him, right? If we look to him, this passage is saying, we will look like him. Uh, you probably heard the term, you are what you eat. Uh, what this passage is saying is you are what you see. Uh, what you choose to gaze upon, or uh, what you choose to pour out your attention and affection on, you will become more and more like. Uh, this idea is uh, throughout the Bible. Um, you see it uh, through idol and pagan worship. Uh, Psalm 115, it talks about you know the idols of, you know, other nations. And he kind of describes the idols. They're of silver, gold, work of human hands, etc. But then in verse eight, he says, those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. It's this idea that we become what we worship or, you know, what you behold, you will become. Or what you pour out your attention, affection on, what you gaze upon, you know, through the, the eyes of your heart, you will then become like. Colossians 3, it says that we as Christians and the new self with renewed knowledge are then becoming like the image of our creator. Right? So as we see him through the scriptures, as we grow in our knowing of him, our understanding of him, our intimacy with him, we will then become like him. Right? So the second point is really this, that we need to give our attention and affection to Jesus. or right? We need to gaze upon him. And, you know, this is kind of freeing. I don't know about you, it's kind of freeing because um, when you think about, well, I need to be more like Jesus, what do I got to do? And what boxes do I have to tick? And, you know, I got to try really hard. Well, the answer is really, well, you need to start here. You need to just, just look at him. And, and it's freeing for me, at least, to think that what I need to do is just enjoy Jesus. And that's the starting point. It's not that you don't need to do something. We need to do stuff, but you just need to make sure where you start off is, is delighting and gazing and pouring out your affection on him, You know, they say that when uh, people date or they get married, uh, that they behave more like each other. Right? Small mannerisms, like how they talk or how they act, um, start to resemble each other. And it's kind of unavoidable because they see each other so often. Um, because you see them, you become like them, right? Um, but when you get married, uh, well, this is the weird thing that happens? Uh, people actually begin to look like each other. I don't know if you've, you've seen that happen. Um, people have said that about uh, Uni and I, like once we got married, they're like, oh, you guys are starting to look the same. And I don't know if that's actually a thing. Um, I used to think that with my brother and, and Sharon, that once they got married, they started to look like each other. And it's weird, but, but you, know, you are what you see, right? Well, what you see and what you um, spend time with, you become more and more like, maybe not physically, but at least you know, in your mannerisms, in the way that you think and feel. And so how much more so than for us, must we spend time with Jesus? How much more must we you know, look at Jesus? How much more must we, so we spend time with him? Right? if our goal is to become like him, well, then we must behold him. Right? And if we're not beholding him, we won't become like him, right? If, if we're not spending time on, in our weeks with him, uh, we can't just uh, uh, like expect it to happen right? unless we're gazing upon him. I just want to point out one thing here. Um, there is hard work included in all of this. Uh, it's not just that we sit there and we look at Jesus. Um, but the, the reason why it's important that we, we do look at him is because even though we do some hard work, ultimately God has to do um, the transforming work. And when you look at um, this passage, and it's a bit of a paradox. Um, You know, the passage we read, it says, um, for this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit, right? At the end of the verses, all godly transformation is ultimately God's transformation. And so even though we do, you know, hard work and we put in the effort to fight against sin and build good habits, ultimately it's God's work, right? If you look at first Corinthians 15, it, it describes this paradox. Paul says, you know, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Right? So he says, it's, it's God's work, right? By the grace of God, I am what I am. And then he goes on. His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. And so then Paul's now flipping and he's saying, no, no, no. I, I worked really hard. Okay. So in all of my, you know, my, my Christ-likeness, in all of my ministry, I worked really hard. And then if you keep re- reading on, though it was not I. You're like, what? This guy's, this guy's weird. He's like bouncing back and forth. It was not I but the grace of God that is with me. And this verse, like if you read it, it seems to make zero sense. Except when you understand, this is again, one of those paradoxes or tensions in the Christian life, where on one hand, when you want to become like Jesus, you got to work really, really, really hard. But on the other hand, ultimately, this is 100% God's work, right? And that doesn't seem to make sense, but this is what the Bible says. This is where the song, I think, yet not I, but Christ in me, comes from. This idea that everything right, in our sanctification is God's work, which is why it's so important for us to then go to God. Because even though I try hard, I acknowledge all of my hard work at the end of the day won't make me more like Jesus. Even sanctification is all God. And so we must go to him, behold Jesus, and then we go and put in the hard work, knowing It's God at the end of the day, right? For us, the daily fight is real. Uh, The devil every day is dangling before our eyes and our hearts, you know, things that we are meant to pour our attention and affection on, right? He tells us these things are more important and a greater delight than Jesus himself, right? It's the oldest trick in the book. He did it in the garden. When Adam and Eve looked at the fruit, they said it was a delight to the eyes, And constantly, the eyes of our heart are being pulled to other things. And the Christian must ensure that they're looking to Jesus, to gaze upon him, because if we look to him, we will look like him, right? If we behold him, we will become him. And so where this really lands is our quiet time, your time in the Bible and your time in prayer. And I don't want you to think about it as like a burden or a box to tick or a chore, but I want to encourage each of us this week just to think about it this way. I want to look to Jesus, right? I just want to see him and the way to see him is through the Bible and prayer. But I really want to uh, just urge us this week. I don't know what the rest of your weeks were like during COVID. I know um, it's, it's harder, we're busier, our routine is out of whack. And maybe you, you, you read your Bible on the train to work, but now you don't have that time. But I just want this week encourage you just to look to Jesus. Behold him. Because if we do that, we will become like him. All right, to balance that Mary-Martha dynamic, sit before you serve. And so you are what you see. And all-godly transformation is God's transformation. And so let's look to him. All right As that hymn says, and we're just going to close with this hymn. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will go strangely dim and the light of his glory and grace. Um, that's the conclusion of this sermon. <clears throat> and at the end of every sermon, um, I forgot last week, but you know, the ministries are going to share a little bit about you know, what they're about. And this week is growth group and kids ministry. Um, Amy, who's leading kids ministry, is actually taking care of the kids. And so she'll share in the announcements. I'll just share briefly about growth groups, and then we'll jump into the questions. Um, but one hope for growth groups this year uh, is to provide a space for you know, what I just shared to happen. Uh, we want genuine relationships where people don't, um, don't have that fear of judgment, but feel free to be honest about what they're struggling with so that you know, we can help each other in that progression of sanctification um, to help us to look to Jesus and really see him through the scriptures and prayer and, and see him as you know, the, our heart's delight as the only one that can satisfy us. And as we look to him, uh, hopefully then we will look like him. Uh, One of the other things our goal is in growth groups um, is to have healthy, joyful leaders that don't burn out. It's something we've been struggling with forever, but I want to have like healthy, joyful leaders that don't burn out, right? Because growth groups often feels like, like it is so tough. I think it's one of the most difficult kind of things we can do in church and often growth group leaders, it seems like they're, they're just burning out. And I don't know what the answer is, but we want to try to stop that. And I want to have a constant supply of future leaders something we've always struggled with, even now where we're struggling with. And maybe that'll lead to my next point. These are our growth group leaders that we have for the moment, John uh, Kim, uh, Daniel Kang, Rebecca Han, Deborah Bake, and Mark Bay. These are our growth group leaders. We have five confirmed. I'm, I'm just waiting on one or two, Sarah Sarah Lee. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm chatting with her, um, but they're, they're five. Uh, but obviously, we, we have like 57 right now. And so um, <laughs> pray for us. <laughs> pray that we might, we might find some leaders. Um, and so now until launch, we're going to grow as leaders closer to each other, get to know each other and just build like camaraderie. Um, and we're going to prepare and equip. Um, in some ways so we can be ready for whatever comes at launch and you know when we launch growth groups is probably going to explode and you know we're going to have a lot more people coming in and how are we going to handle that how can we not be internal looking but be ready to welcome the new people you know we're going to try to do stuff like that now i'm really excited for this i'm excited to get to know uh, the growth group leaders um, because this is such a central part of the church and if growth group is thriving um, i think it will make such a big difference to the rest of the church And so please remember us and please pray for us. Okay. The two questions I want us to kind of think about, if you want, you can talk about something else as we split off into breakout rooms is this. Um, In this current season, uh, do you find belonging to Jesus an easy or difficult task and why? Um, And does this idea of focusing on direction and not destination uh, help you see yourself, help the way that you see yourself or others? Okay, let me just share these in the chat.